Welcome to... Hey, great shot. My name's Alex Gruskin. Happy to be back with you. Joining me as always on this podcast, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the only co-host who would ever agree to work with me, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. I don't know why I agreed to work with you, (laughs) but somehow I'm here in my bedroom letting you bring in all the recording stuff into my personal space i invaded your personal space. you did this is the beaches of normandy (laughs) i'm storming (laughs) and i am defending poorly (laughs) (laughs) for sure well we're so happy to be back with you guys Uh, we hope you listened to our last episode you know if you guys have been following along you'd have known that on crackedrackets.com we'd started a series called the next gen american series again we recapped this on our last podcast but just to go over it briefly uh this is going to be a series of scouting reports cracked rackets debates and mini podcasts talking about our favorite 11 next gen american male prospects um Again, you guys obviously know this, but it's been since the 2003 U.S. Open, since we've won a major. Um, We haven't won many Masters. We haven't won many ATP World Tour Finals. We haven't won any gold medals really either. So the point of this series is to highlight those prospects we think can break through and maybe um, re-cement America's status as the greatest tennis nation, at least on the men's side. Um, But Max, I've done enough talking. You want to introduce who we're talking about this week? Yes, sir. So... I've obviously uh, talked about him in some podcasts before. I know and... you're really excited to be here. Oh, yeah. I'm a <laughs> big fan of his game. Uh, Alex has even, you know, said that I play like this guy a little bit. I don't. When have I ever said oh, that? Oh, you mentioned it. Don't give me that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, yeah move, you also move poorly. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to debate that a little bit. So, yeah, I grew up uh, playing with Ernesto in Los Angeles, California. Uh, he destroyed me back when I was... Uh, <laughs> 6-0, a, right? It was, so it was a pro set. It was 8-1. Oh, I got my oh, one game. Count it. Yeah. I, oh, I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he grew up on the... Uh, actually, the public courts of Los Angeles, and there was a pretty cool Los Angeles Times article about uh, you know how some of the players were, were coming off the public courts and uh, how it's a bit of a change of pace from, from some of the other players in Southern California. Uh, but all the cool kids like to call him Neto, uh, not Ernesto, not Escobedo, Neto. Uh, he obviously speaks both Spanish and English. And uh, in an interview that was done with him recently, he said that his favorite movie was The Dark Knight. Uh, we've got another fellow Dark Knight lover oh, on this podcast. I'm a huge Batman fan. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite movie, too. So if I didn't like him enough for his tennis, that put me over the top. Oh, yeah. Um, he's actually, so a little bit about his tennis game, uh, his game style. Of course, we'll break that down more as we go on with the pod. But just so you guys know a little bit of the basics so you can you know follow along and understand what we're talking about. Um, he does have a current live ranking of 111, uh, but he did crack the top 100 earlier. Earlier this year, I believe it was in April after he made the semifinals of the U.S. men's clay courts. Uh, that was, of course, um, yeah, it was the semifinals earlier this year. He actually spent his 2016 offseason training with Fed in Dubai, uh, so I'd have to think that's part of the reason why he got off to such a great start. Of course, he also reached the second round of this year's Australian Open. The first thing, though, that will come to your mind when you see Ernesto Escobedo is, boy, does this guy hit hard. Yeah, I mean, so much forehand. 
pops. Oh, I mean, the sound coming off his racket is unmistakable. I oh, mean, yeah. for tennis fans like us, it's Nirvana. It's everything we want in our sounds, in our tennis aesthetics. Absolutely. And so, you know, big player on both the forehand and the backhand, goes after his shots, not afraid to try and take the ball early, cut you off, and try to, you know, really rip it down the line and get you uncomfortable. Uh, his backhand slice... You know, again, we wrote these 10 for 10 articles on cracked rackets. I equated it to a hanging slider. Uh, it's just, it really just floats there. Uh, need some work on and it. I think that's indicative of his hands. I don't really think he's the best volleyer right now as well. Um, but uh, one thing that a lot of people say, or at least a part of our cracked rackets teams, you know, Alex Leopold, Dalton, Dalton Thieneman, uh, Daniel Westhoff, were all adamant that we made sure we said his serve is like Roddick's. What do you think about that? I mean, it's That's a hot take. It is a hot, hot take. take. He, the the formation is you know somewhat similar. He gets on those toes, bends those knees, and gets up to it. It's a bit of a, a shorter serve than An abbreviated the most. motion. Yeah, yeah um, sure. so I can agree with that. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think some of the the lack of hands and uh, that aspect is a testament to the fact that he didn't play any college tennis. And and we can lead into that conversation here. And um, you know, I think that it wasn't necessarily uh, a bad idea. Um, but in regards to the volleying and the hands and, and that development in the slice, I think that's where he could have learned a lot. Just um, imagine a season of doubles with Peter Smith exactly. at USC. 100%. That's and exactly what I was so thinking. Right. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, I do want to backtrack a little bit, though, because I want to talk about the moment you became aware of this player. I think you have a particularly interesting perspective because you also played in Southern California. And as listeners of this podcast may know, um, the reason you haven't really heard of Ernesto Escobedo until now is he was not a big name on the U.S. junior circuit. No, he wasn't. Um, I definitely was aware of him because of the Southern California tournaments he played. Um, I used to remember seeing him and uh, some of his relatives playing in the the junior tournaments, uh, mainly in Southern California, and he was always one of those kids who was, as a 12-year-old, playing 14s, as a 14-year-old, playing 16s, um, and he would, you know, make it to the finals of these tournaments as uh, someone who's two years younger. And when you're young and also two years younger than those kids. I mean, that's a testament to, to how good he was at an early age. So No, we, you know, this is a really stupid story, but um, back in the day, my older brother and his friends, they used to symbol, or they used to label people who were the best in Semta, and they used to call them thes. They would be, he's a the. That means he's the best. So he was the Ernesto Escobedo, he right? He was he's the big, big name. name. You guys knew in his grade, because, you know, you're also a 96er. Yep. Um, I think he was born in June of 96. Uh-huh. Uh he was the name of Southern California. He was the prospect to watch. Yep, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, look, again, he didn't play a lot of junior tournaments. He was the two seed at the 2014 Kalamazoo. Uh, that was the Kalamazoo that had, I think, all of our next-gen prospects in the field. Uh, that was one, again, won by Noah Rubin. But Ernesto was the two seed at the time. Uh, so he was clearly a presence. But this brings us back to a conversation we were having earlier. He made the choice to go pro at 17 signed with an agent uh, I mistakenly said this agent had other clients but Cracked Rackets very own Parson Namadi actually corrected me and let me know this was this agent's first signing uh, good for him but you kind of made this point 
a year of doubles would have been really nice for Ernesto's game. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, looking at it now, um, I think he did make the right decision. I think he has time to, to work on those things on tour, but uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see what would have happened had he had <clears throat> that doubles experience and uh, a little time, you know, really working on his game and focusing on that rather than the tournaments and the wins uh, that he has to make sure he's, he's paying attention to while he's on tour. Well, I guess this kind of leads into the question of what is your least favorite part of his game? Because you are very adamant about the volleys. You know, in the article, I made the point that if he improved his volleys, it would kind of cover up the thing I actually like least about his game, which is his movement. For someone who is 6'1", you know, about 180 pounds, he looks very physically fit. Um, and, you know, you, you, what am I saying? He looks very physically fit. What does that really mean? I don't know. But it seems to me that he lacks that explosive first step to kind of, you know, recover cross court to get to that ball to you know if someone's against you is taking the ball on the rise to kind of change direction it seems like to me he really struggles with that yeah and you know if I had to answer the question personally I would say it's his volleys I mean I think you know for someone who hits such a big ball and does get into the net you know you just gotta compliment it and finish it off but do you think he comes to the net the right amount because you know no some of the matches we watched to get ready for this we watched his recent matches we watched him beat Denis Shapovalov we watched him lose to Bradley Klon lose to Jared Donaldson earlier this year um do you think he comes to the net the right amount no no I don't and, and I think that's a testament to the fact that he's not comfortable with his volleys and I and I think that's um, what we've seen. And, and when he does come to the net, however, um, you know, it, we've seen him not be able to, to end those points. And um, I think that's where he definitely needs to improve. But on your point of his movement, look, I agree. He isn't the best mover, but I don't think it's for the same reasons that everyone thinks about typically with people who can't move well. He gets to the ball. He does. He. I think he's quick. I think he is an athletic guy. But he doesn't know how to hit as well on the run. I, I watched a lot of his film, and I don't see him getting beat very often, but what I do see is when he gets to those balls, he's really not able to put it back in the court that allows him time to get back into the point. So I want to talk about two specific examples because I actually think they speak exactly to the distinguishing distinguishment you're making between being a bad mover and being bad on the run. If you watched his match with Shapovalov, uh, I think it was in the first set tiebreaker, and you can find these highlights on YouTube. That's the highlights I used. I think those are the ones Max used as well. There's a point, I believe it's 3-2 Escobedo's up, but he's on serve, so he's trying to hold the mini break. He takes one of Shapovalov's loopy backhands early, crushes a forehand pa- uh, forehand approach down the line and tries to kind of sneak in behind it. And so, you know, Shapovalov has a forehand because he's a lefty and kind of dips it at his feet rather than take it early and kind of get to the net and be able to cut it off quickly. He does a little, yeah, a little Yui thing on his hand. And so he kind of floats the volley back. Now, fortunately for him on this point, he kind of showed progress and there was another quick reaction and he made that he next volley. Point, yeah. yeah, and so he did win the point. Um But yeah, I agree with you. That's the first volley. If you want to be a killer because you're playing these top 50 pros who if you give them that second ball, they're going to make you, you know, they're going to hurt you. And I agree. The volley is something he needs to really improve with. The second point I want to make, and I apologize for talking so long, but this speaks to your inability to hit on the run. Look at the Donaldson match against him. I believe it was at in Atlanta. Um, Donaldson 
took the ball early. He made Ernesto uncomfortable. He made Ernesto move side to side and make choices of how do I want to try and flip this point to make Jared play defensive. And maybe in that instance, uh, you know, Escobedo's line shots were really off. And so he wasn't able to do it, but he also wasn't able to recover. Yeah. And I was going to bring up that match. I mean, when you watch that match, Donaldson looks like a pro and Escobedo looks like a junior. Uh, You're absolutely right. And I really think that that is what is separating Escobedo from breaking into the top 100 and staying there. I mean, he really needs to work on his ability to hit on the run. If you look at the top guys, all of them are pros at that. They thrive on the run. They're able to get back into the point. And without that, he's not going to be able to to get much farther. Well, you know, they are professional tennis players. But hey, great shot. You know what? (laughs) you. Sorry, but go on, go on. Anyways, Escobedo, I rip on him right now because I think he has so much potential. I really do. I think of all the guys, him and Donaldson might be the top two, and and I'm not going to get into my list yet, but I think he has one of the highest potentials to be one of the top young Americans. Considering Escobedo and Donaldson both went on similar paths, you know, both born 1996, both stayed away from the USTA training facilities, both um, established themselves on the pro tour rather than going to college. That match was, it was really interesting to see how different uh their t- you know what different places their two games are at um Escobedo you're right he did not look prepared he did he looked like he had no idea how Jared Donaldson was going to play that Jared Donaldson would be someone who tried to take away his time he thought Donaldson was a grinder that he'd be able to dictate and he should have known coming into that match that, that was not going to be the case yeah and and I think that you know in that match you can definitely see some poor shot choice and I think that's a result of him not being comfortable on the run it forces him to hit shots that he shouldn't have to hit otherwise and the the one other thing that I, I want to comment about Escobedo's game uh, is his backhand he flattens it out a ton um, in order to take it early and, and get aggressive with his shot selection but the one thing that he is so good with is his topspin both his forehand and his backhand have a lot of spin on the ball if he can use that to his advantage to develop the point more and be more comfortable on the run, I could see him being really successful in the future. Would you say your favorite part uh, of his game are his ground strokes? Favorite parts? His forehand, absolutely. Yeah. It's beautiful. But I even like the back. I, I do just, too. I, like I, I, how, I think it's a good stroke. I like how confident he is to take his rips, to know that I am a power player, I need to dictate, and when I even get the slightest short ball, it's time for me to go. Yeah, if you watch his match with Shapovlov, some of those backhand, flat backhand rips, I mean... beautiful. Oh, beautiful. If those are a few more inches inside the line, I mean, those are are winners every single time. Yeah, and and I think this is a testament to him being more of a power than finesse athlete. Um, I just think it's just, you know, it's easy for us to say... Just come to the net, Ernesto. The shots will be there for you. But I really do think they are. You know, we've seen how well he can, you know, whether it's the inside out forehand, the inside in forehand, the backhand down the line. There is not a ground stroke that he cannot penetrate the court with. And so I just, I agree. I love his game. And you see such excellent potential. Um, I just really worry. And I'm hesitant because given how fit he already is, you don't just develop a quick first step. A lot For a lot of people, it's you know a natural gift, uh, that ability to react so quickly. You look at a Songa whose first step is incredible. Um, I think Ernesto has that same type of power. It's just can he develop that first step? 
Yeah, and you know, maybe there's a way to develop his game so that, like you said, that slice and get a little bit better. Oh, it's maybe, horrible. Maybe now. turn in a little bit more, uh, to turn his game a little bit more into that of erotic. Um, bring in the big serve, bring in the big forehand. I think you don't want him resulting to the slice. I, I don't want that either. But I think, you know, Roddick is a better mover than, you know, Ernesto is now. But try and move a little bit more into the game where he knows he's not going to be the best mover. Get the slice. Give yourself time uh, and be aggressive. Okay. I will. I just want to say this. I will die on the hill of saying Andy Roddick's forehand was garbage. I like look. Andy Roddick is an incredible okay. player, great server. If he had even top fifty quality ground strokes, he wins one of those matches against Fed and at Wimbledon and has more slams. If he ever learned how to volley with his serve, he wins a Wimbledon title. I just don't. I was so frustrated with Roddick's game my entire life because his forehand is so aesthetically just poor. It is so. It, it's like a little. It reminds me kind of of Rubens, just a less exaggerated version. The way he kind of whipped his wrist and it all always frustrated me because he seemed to have the handles on the backhand. Sorry, this was my oh, rant. His backhand was trash, too. <laughs> so you're telling but me... But he was a top-notch mover and a top-notch player, both so his, on and off the court. his serve and movement made him the number one player in the world? Yes. Wow. It's like if Ivo Karlovich was freaking Hot Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's... Uh, but that... So... I guess what we're learning Look, here... obviously Roddick did a lot of things well. He was a grinder, but the forehand was just so ugly. I just... I, it wasn't that. It's not... It cannot be as bad as you're saying. Because then, cause then Isner and these guys would be top 10. I mean, I've been on the... You know I love tall players. Uh, just yeah, wait for the Opelka Opelka. <laughs> make me puke. Uh, but this was as close of a segue as we'll get to talking about our pro comparisons... However, I want to take a quick break for our first fake advertisement, so we'll be right back after this message. And now, another fake advertisement from our new sponsor, Big Banger. Big Banger. Do you like to Big Bang? Boy, you were in Vegas. You tell me about the Big Bang. Oh, the Big Bang was every night, baby. Ernesto Escobedo, Big Banger. If you have a big forehand, you need Big Banger, so you can keep on Big Banging. Bang it. Big Banger. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. <laughs> Smurf Max has joined us for this segment of the podcast. It's supposed to be Stitch. A stitch. Well, Lula and Stitch. Uh, well, that's a little better. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, but so we're going to pick up right where we left off. Let's go with our pro comparison. So we're going to do two types. We're going to do a serious pro comparison and then our fun pro comparison. I want to start with my serious one because... It's a bit of a hot take, so I I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. Given Ernesto Escobedo's natural power off of the ground strokes, what do you think of a him-Stan Wawrinka best-case scenario comparison? That is interesting. Um, The more that I think about it... Because it's power on both wings... Not the most comfortable volleyer. Uh, not the most. See, I think Morinka is a pretty good volleyer. Really, I do. I think people underestimate his volleys. Uh, how can you say that? He lost first round of Wimbledon. Uh, what does that have to do with volley? You got to move in in Wimbledon because you can't just be a baseline grinder. Look, yeah, I, I think mean, he obviously his slice is yeah. significantly better. Absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, he has more ways of moving you around the court. I think he, you know, the angle he's able to produce with this one hand. Well, right, backhand. and and that was what I was going to say is that. If Ernesto could take a little bit 
off of his backhand, throw a little more spin on it, I would say his backhand would be pretty similar to Warenka. Well, I think he finds the inside-out forehand so well. It's evidence, though, of his ability to have a field shot, a touch shot, not one that just requires pure power. So I agree. There's no reason why he can't, you know, our coach called it a flip shot, really flip it off the court, you know, a nice short angle shot. I see. I see pretty similar motions in the serve too. Yeah, I, really simple. Yeah. You know, above the the shoulder right away. Really yeah. launch yourself into the serve. I like that comparison. Yeah, I, I mean that's best case scenario though. I don't think he moves quite as well. No, not even. That's close. why for my fun comparison, what do you think of an Ernesto Escobedo Fernando Gonzalez comparison? And- oh, that's awesome <laughs> i haven't seen gonzo play in a while <laughs> since that aussie open he did so well oh god that's awesome i mean the forehand's fiery the backhand i mean but see the thing about gonzalez he had the hands he did he, he had the there's hands. actually though this video of him he played Roddick stepanik and stepanik pissed him off the point drills him in the ass. Ass. <laughs> yeah. i love that couldn't you tell me Ernesto has that type of raw power. He, he, has, he has the raw reason. power, but he does not have that feistiness to him. <laughs> yeah. Gonzo, uh, I'll still never get over it. Also, there's that video of Gonzo where he, he cracks a racket at Indian Wells and everyone's cheering and he's like putting his hands up, getting <laughs> louder and keeps cracking it. God, I, I miss him on tour. No, I think that's a fair point. Gonzo did have the hands, but he also was not the best mover. He was someone who's going to blast you off the court with power. And, you know, worst case scenario for Escobedo, it could be that. But again, he had a slice. That That is something that True. Ernesto is missing True. and Gonzo had, and it's what <laughs> helped make him successful. Gonzo, man. I know, right? What an era. Oh. The Gonzo Baghdadis era. I missed that. That was so fun. But uh, so here, I'll, I'll give you uh, my uh, comparison, my, my serious one first. Um, sure. I, it took me a little bit to think about this, um, but I actually think Delpo is a pretty good comparison for him and, and I know the forehands differ and I know Delpo's backhand is a little bit more of a you know a push but it's still flat um, I think that in you know this this might be not a worst case scenario but not the most ideal scenario it is the type of game that Ernesto could try and adopt I would say and I know this is you know shocking given Delpo's height but he's a better mover than Ernesto and oh give me a break the way he's able to protect his backhand if he may not be as quick or maybe he is as quick but he is much more efficient with his movement and his footwork for sure you know i i think that's actually purely experience he really knows where the ball is going to be he's a smart player this is where sometimes these guys are 21 you're right Right. we're definitely over exaggerating this is there are times where i watch Ernesto play and it's like he gives it almost looks like he gives up on points but it's almost like he's guessing wrong. And, and that's just where I think, you know, he doesn't have the experience on the pro well, tour. I think he's guessing because he's uncomfortable with his movement. He's right. not he's not confident enough in himself to react quickly enough. Maybe Adelpo should give him a few lessons and, and see what happens. <laughs> well, actually, I think there's footage of Federer. And es- I mean, we already talked about Escobedo going to hit in Dubai with Federer for an offseason. Uh, who has better footwork than Fed? <laughs> I'm no sure you remember whatever you learned and let's get right back on it this offseason. I hear that. Okay, it's time for the power rankings. Um, again, every podcast we're going to rank the next-gen player based on his ability now compared to his contemporaries and where we think he's going to end up given his potential compared to his contemporaries. So I want to start this week because Ernesto's your guy. Um, in terms of current uh, ranking, you know, Escobedo is someone. As we've mentioned, he he cracked the top 100 earlier this year. He made the semifinals of an ATP 250 event. He's beaten Isner. He's beaten Shapovalov. 
I still have him sixth. See, I, I, I think that's way too low on the list. Um, I had a hard time with this because, obviously, I'm biased. I really like his game. Um, SoCal, man. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> Surfer bro, dude. He just gave a little surfer signal. I yeah. don't know how to describe it. The thumb and pinky are wide. He doesn't even know what to do. He's such a <laughs> Midwesterner. Um, but, yeah, I, I put Ernesto fourth. Uh, I think there's a couple other guys right now who just have more developed games, uh, a little bit more experience on tour, even though they all have had very little. It's They just seem more comfortable out there. Well, look, um, Escobedo's been a pro since he was 17. Right. He certainly has the experience compared to his contemporaries. He, he has the experience, but it almost doesn't feel like it. Um, well, he lost to Donaldson earlier this year. Yeah, and then three at, and one. In Montreal, he lost to Opelka in qualifying. There and so go. that was really the buoy I had to put him, uh, or put those guys above him. I also think since Wimbledon, he's had, you know, this might, I think it's four wins, four main draw wins, yeah. uh, maybe five. Uh, and it's just, you know, he's losing to players like Bradley Klon, who as good as Bradley Klon is, if he wants to be a top 100 player, he needs to be beating players like that, players who are 27 years old. Beating them comfortably. Yeah, and even if not com- – yeah, you know, comfortably is the right word. Exactly. And uh, so I, I have him fourth on you know the list of current ability, but I do have him second for Ooh, a disagreement. I like it. I, I really do think that he's one of these guys that has the weapons. I, there aren't many players in this group that – have a forehand like him, have a serve that can get bigger and become more of a weapon, and have a backhand that actually is a weapon. You know, if there's one thing that I think that a lot of coaches say you can work on and improve is your movement. And a slice, yeah, you can always work on a slice. Maybe, maybe not Alex because he doesn't know how to hit a slice <laughs> and never will. Chips, and your are coach. For, chips are for parties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I, I really do think he's got one of the, uh, the highest rooms of uh, – Sorry, the highest... Uh, room for growth. Room for growth. He has multiple rooms for growth. Rooms, yeah. <laughs> One's his Words HGH room, the other's his forehand room. <laughs> the other's for personal stuff growth, if oh, you know yeah, what I mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> if it's right for you. <laughs> <laughs> Left for others. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think he's got a lot of potential to be uh, one of the best next-gen guys. Okay, so as I mentioned, uh, I do disagree. I have him seventh, and you know... You make a good point. When you're looking at these players, uh, you really want to see in today's modern game that they have a weapon, that they have something that, you know, no matter what, they can count on and rely on to be uh, to propel them through matches. And so for Escobedo, it's his power. Uh, he absolutely, no matter what match he's in, if he gets a clean look at the ball, he's going to make his opponent uncomfortable because that opponent will either be on the run, um, that opponent will either be jammed with his pace and have their time taken away, or that opponent will just, you know, he'll have a winner go right by him because Ernesto hits it that well. And so to be able to have that type of control in your matches, uh, that's really beneficial. That being said, and we harped on this point earlier, the Jared Donaldson match really scared me because Jared Donaldson was so easily able to take time away from Escobedo and really made, like you said, Escobedo look like a junior. And it's not as though Jared Donaldson's a top 25 player on tour right now. Granted, he is a top 50 player on tour, but if Ernesto ever wants to crack into that, you know, that upper echelon, you can't be seeing that. And so I really am hesitant, given how physically developed he is. Can he really get that much faster? Yeah, I I, I hear the concerns. Um, I, I definitely feel the same way. I just 
I am a true believer in being able to improve in that area of a game. Especially, yeah, you're right. Movement, it does seem like it's something you can always get faster. Yeah, always get faster, get more explosive. Except for me. <laughs> uh, except for you. I plateau. Okay. Yeah, we, we've seen that plateau <laughs> for a while now. <laughs> um, but yeah. With that, uh, I think we've we've done enough talking about our, our boy Ernesto. We, you know, I hope that he can uh, break the top fifty in the coming years. But yeah. So just last thing, top fifty—that's what you're predicting. Top fifty. Okay, I'm gonna say top seventy-five, top fifty if he hires a fitness trainer tomorrow, top twenty-five if he gives up gluten the next day. I think that's <laughs> absolutely accurate. Less home cooking, more rigorous nutrition. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, with that, um, we're we're gonna come back with. One more fake advertisement before we get into our changeover chat. We'll be right back with you. And now, another fake advertisement from our new sponsor, Light Shoes. Light Shoes. Alex, are you slow on court? We can agree to disagree. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, if you're wearing Nikes, Adidas, Bablots, that'll all make you slow and terrible. Who poaches more, me or you? Definitely me. And you know, I don't know why? Because I'm light on the court. <laughs> I wear Light Shoes. Oh, light Shoes. He doesn't poach more than me. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. Come on, man. A little Dude, variety. This, I am on brand. We are the Great Shot oh, are Podcast. Are we going back to like our we doubles roles? You're consistent. Brand. I'm the crazy... You're the flamboyant, uh, and well, I'm the flamboyant. solid. Flamboyant. Uh, <laughs> that hair is on fire. That's fair. Okay. That's it, is, it is mildly red. <laughs> but with that said, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. It's time for Cue the Drum Roll. The changeover chat. The changeover chat. <laughs> so this week's changeover chat, uh, we're going to talk about a really fun scenario that actually happened here in Ann Arbor because I just feel like this is something that happens to a lot of tennis players that uh, doesn't get discussed enough. So this week, two University of Michigan players, Alex Knight and Leo Hua, made the finals of the ITA Singles Regional hosted this year here at Michigan. Uh, you know, that's a match that actually Leo ended up winning 7-6 in the third. Um, well, you know, well, if it was fixed or not, we'll investigate later. But uh, not only that, they made the doubles final as a team as well. Um, they actually played that doubles final in the morning before they played the singles final. So I guess two questions to you, Max Rothman. One, have you ever played a friend, a doubles partner, a close confidant in a singles tournament? in a doubles tournament and then question number two did you stack the results <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, i've actually played two of my high school doubles partners uh in separate tournaments shout out to sam hummel and shout out to dylan eisner dylan eisner yeah um so i i've actually played dylan twice um in tournaments and I did not take it easy on him at all. <laughs> not to say I took it easy on Sam, I didn't. Um but I just remember playing him and really wanting to give no mercy. <laughs> and I took both those matches, you know, pretty handily. I want to say it was like three and two and two and two. Um but I do remember playing against Sam in a tournament and it was weird. Yeah, like it's so weird. It is. I mean, there's there just were more pressure. You're just afraid to lose. Yeah, and look good. I mean, there were times where you know line calls oh, get, get iffy, and, <laughs> and like 
I didn't want to cheer when I hit a good shot, but like instinctively I did. And, <laughs> um, and we can't ch- talk at the changeover, which right, we always which I would do. normally do. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And <laughs> that just isn't happening. Which, especially you know, because we're always winning. Like you right. want to talk, but you know he's down, so you don't want. Yeah, to. it's tough. I actually have two good stories. Um, one is my own. One is my brother's. Uh, so I played Rishi Patel, <laughs> a club tennis player, twice in USTA matches. I have never played a kid who hooked me more in any <laughs> match in my entire life. Rishi was calling. If it was close, it was out, and you learned that midway through. And so I actually won the first one, lost the second. Rishi, if you hear this, I love you, um, but your line calls are trash. Uh, and by the way, you got to clean your knee brace, but that's it. We'll save that for another <laughs> time. Uh, my other one is my brother's story, and this is just a classic story. So my brother played his childhood best friend in a schoolcraft tournament. Uh, schoolcraft is a local college and that they host a bunch of tournaments. And back then it was run actually by our coach. And so he played his childhood best friend, Matthew Gold, in a match where I think Matthew was seated and Eric wasn't. And so I think Matthew was expected to win because he was the better player at that time. So Eric drove there with the Golds under that uh, expectation. And then Eric beat Matthew. He said the car ride home, there was silence. Just nothing. That actually, I've never heard that story. (laughs) And I cannot imagine how awkward that was. Just silence. And like, I mean... I've driven home. I drove home once with a kid who I played, but we like we knew I was going to beat him, and I did beat him, so it was okay. Yeah, it, it went the way you thought <laughs> yeah, it was, exactly. unlike with your bro. But can you imagine if you just if like we played and I whooped your ass, and then I had to drive you home after? You would be no, we would move on. <laughs> that oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, Alex and I did play in a set. <laughs> oh my that god! I took six. I was two. already retired. This was yeah, after nationals. Ass. You're not good. Yeah, you're pretty good. It's just because you, sorry, you served out of your behind and you were just hitting kicks out of your ass, which I, mean, I always do. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I you do. played a good set. Yeah, <laughs> I'm better than you. It's no, okay. You're not. I'll play you right now. Let's go, dude. It would be so uncoordinated. It would be we were terrible. Both not on our games. No. <laughs> Last one out there. Breathing breathing wins (laughs) but okay we're gonna move on to our final segment of the show we actually did this on our first noah rubin show and we enjoyed doing it so much we thought we'd bring it back and make it a recurring segment uh we're doing tennis myths uh where max and i ask each other funny tennis questions and we debate their results so max we'll start with you all right so here's one if any of you have read uh, Andre Agassi's book, Open, you learn <laughs> a little bit about his life and, and what it was like to be him. So I've always wondered, what if he always stuck with the crazy hair and outfits? Like, what if he just oh. never conformed <laughs> to, <laughs> to tennis you know, protocol? Then he definitely doesn't have the career resurgence he did. 99 to 2003 does I think not he, happen. I think he wins everything. <laughs> I think the the loose Agassi actually never loses. I think the Grand Slam event moves to Las Vegas, and it's now <laughs> the Las Vegas Open. Oh, that would be dangerous! It's the hometown tournament, and he just. I actually, did, I played the Las uh, the Andre Agassi no quit national uh, <laughs> level three. Yeah, the national classic. Of course, and that our, was a great and tournament. My boy Stefan Kozlov just won the Las Vegas Challenger as well. So there you go. They're almost there. Basically. <laughs> okay, let me think of a good one for you. Okay, we've ripped on him before, but I'm going to stay consistent. 
if Marin Cilic was attractive, would he have fans? <laughs> He's won a major. He did what Del Potro did, just uglier. Like, right? Uh, is that... Uh, maybe that's it. Like, it that that it has really, to be. Like, I, I think, think so. it's literally that superficial. Because I'm not going to lie, when I was younger, I was a huge fan of his. And ask my brother, I said he would break through and be a top five player someday. Because to move as well as he does at his size and to be able to produce the power on the run that he is, again, despite being 6'6", is incredible. Like, I don't think he gets enough credit for being as coordinated and as skilled of an athlete as he is. It's simply because he's ugly. (laughs) I think that's the only explanation. No, I agree. All right, here's another one for you. Who wins in their primes? McEnroe's versus Bryan's. Bryan's. You think so? I really do. Do, If the McEnroe's win, do they belly bump? Oh. Oh. I want to see a dual belly bump with those, with those four. It'd <laughs> be awesome. Bump. Yeah, quad bump. <laughs> no, but it, been this, in Vegas for too long. <laughs> no, seriously, my brain's not okay. Um, but yeah, that's something I've always thought about: is if if the older guys had the same technology in the rackets that the guys today have. The would... ultimate tennis myth is that older players are better than current players. Yeah. Uh, no way, dude. Okay. Speed technology. I hear my old coach Ed Nagel screaming at me, saying, "The courts were so much fa- are so much faster, and you used to be able to serve and volley, and now no one knows how to do that. The ball's just hanging there forever." Mishka the sh- would be, yeah, and it's just with like, that. no, you're wrong. Players are more fit now. They actually have training schedules. They don't drink every night. They know how to recover with their bodies. My grandpa, when he used to play tennis, would drink. Coke and would eat bonbons. These like cinnamon <laughs> sugar donut bites. That's what they used to That's eat when they play. Now our top guys don't even eat gluten. Yeah, like, come on. I've been really harping on the gluten recently. <laughs> I'm just all about the gluten. Um, all right, any more tennis myths for me? Okay, I've got one more tennis myth. All right, lay it on. We're, we're going to go to the collegiate level for it. <laughs> USC is a better team than the University of Virginia. <laughs> We talking this year or all time? Or uh, all just time, in the past? yeah. Okay. Hmm. You know, how about this? How about since we were born? Oh, no. I, you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Steve Johnson's great. I love him. And him, Ray, Daniel Nguyen, Emilio Gomez, Yannick Hoffman. I can go on and on and on and name those players. But let me name my boys from Virginia. Oh, here we go. Jarmir Jenkins, Mitchell so, Frank, so fun Alex Damajan, Ryan Shade, Ty Kwiatkowski, Samdev Devarman, Trait Huey, Dom Inglot. I mean, I can I can keep going. My boy, Henrik Wiersum. I love him. Yeah. Colin Altamirano, who was kind enough to be interviewed on Cracked Rack. Rackets. Um, where's the Steve Johnson interview on Cracked Rackets? I don't see it. Steve, if you want to join, man. <laughs> SoCal for life. Let's get it. There's always a spot for you on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, no, I can't say it. Virginia, since 2000, best since Brian Boland took over. You know, the Boland era, best era in college tennis history. Uh, some of those Stanford teams back in the day might have been better, but yeah. I'm taking, give me Boland. I mean, I'm going to disagree. As much as I've had some chippy matches with the Smith boys, and <laughs> I know Peter's a good guy. He's taught some great teams. Uh, I'm going to go with USC. It's not, your, it's not their fault you're a hook. Oh, <laughs> we're calling me a hook Well, now. I think they were the ones calling you a hook. They, oh, they were. <laughs> and that was a we, we won't get into it. Yeah, we'll save that for the next changeover chat. Yeah. But uh, I'm good to leave it here if you are. 
we want to thank you guys again for listening, and please check out uh, the Ernesto Escobedo article now on CrackedRackets.com. There's also a bunch of great stuff up there, such as the Belt Series, where we're highlighting the best American tennis players by era. Uh, There's the Tennis Tribune Series, where we're having former college players and current pros come in and tell their story and what their life on tour is like. Um, of course, we have great articles all the time by Parker Thieneman, by Alex Leopold as well. So stay on the lookout for those. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Max Rothman, thank you for taking the time. You know, I always have plenty of time to give. <laughs> Especially when it's Ernesto. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Max Rothman, thank you. Thank you, Max Fliegner, as always. You're going to have fun editing this one. But for Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, Max Fliegner, and for the whole team at Cracked Rackets, we say to you, hey, great shot. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. A Great Shot Production.